so let's see. We were in the middle of discussing these, these three forbidden activities. So one of these activities was braiding your hair. One of these activities is putting the eye makeup on, like eyeliner. And one of these activities is so that is um pekeses. Uh, pekeses we said is either um, is either the act of uh, rubbing your cheeks with uh, like this flour dough, and through rubbing your cheeks, you're going to turn your cheeks red. Or alternatively, pokesis is um what was the other option? Oh, it was it was combing your hair with a with a comb. That was the other option for what Pocasus was. Okay, so we said that the first opinion was saying that why these three things are forbidden was one thing. The second opinion said no, that's not why they're forbidden. Rather, they are forbidden the kechelas when it comes to uh, coloring your your uh, your eyeliner. That's forbidden because it's like coloring and when it, you know dyeing. And when it comes to braiding or uh, combing, then it's forbidden because of bone because of building. Chiderach binyan bekach. Is it the way of things to build, right? Can you say that braiding is called building? Braiding does not seem like a natural way of building. So how could you say that braiding is forbidden because of building? In, it is a way of, of building. Why? Because the Manasya explained like this. Hashem Manasya is going to make a drasha. And the drasha goes <coughs> like this. Hashem built a... Um, the Pasuk is talking about when Hashem took a piece of Adam and says Hashem took a piece as Hatzala, the, the rib of, of Adam, and he built up on that rib. Manasseh says this teaches us that Hashem was Kila Lechava, braided Chava's here, right? A different Gemara tells us, I feel like we did it. Yeah, we did it. It was in Brachas. I thought we did it. So that when, when Hashem, when, uh, when Chava got married to, to Adam, so Hashem actually was her, you know, walked her down the aisle, so to speak, right? And how did he do that? He braided her here. Now it says that he kila her here. Now it says, he brought her to Adam. Because in the Krachayayam, in the cities by the sea, what do they call, um, what do they call kliasa, braiding? They call it building. So what we're bringing a proof to over here is that braiding and building have something in common, right? Because you're taking two different materials, you know, two different hairs, and you're putting it together into one greater quality. So therefore, it's similar to building. Tanya, we learned in the Raisa. When it comes to um, uh, to braiding here, to uh, putting on this eye makeup, to combing your hair, if you're doing it for yourself, you are exempt. If you're doing it for your friend, you are liable. What's the difference between yourself and your friend? Because when you're doing it for yourself, you know what? You do you you um you don't do a good job. It's very hard to braid your own hair properly. So you don't do a great job. Since you don't do a great job, it's not going to be liable on a Torah level. When you're doing it for your friend, you're going to do a great job, and therefore it will be liable on a Torah level. That a woman cannot pass Sirak on her face because that is going to color her, right? This is referring to um, uh, like a, not blush, but some other type of uh, like, a, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know enough about makeup but some sort of makeup that they would put on their cheeks to make their cheeks like red with actual redness, not, not just uh, uh, some sort of illusion of redness, but actually color it red. Tanarabana, we learned in a brysa. Okay, this is a fascinating uh, brysa now that we're going to get through. So it says like this, if someone milks a cow, we're going to assume is uh, basically what part of the process of making cheeses, they would take, the uh, the milk that's already been curdled, and they would filter it. 
by passing it through some sort of a filter type of uh, vessel. And the, the curd would stay in the vessel. And then the rest of it, the, the, the whey, I guess, and the liquid would actually come out through the filter. Now the curd, then you could then make it into cheese. So if someone does either milking or does the mechabets or megabain, megabain is the process of making cheese. The way we understand the megabain over here is referring to taking different pieces of cheese and you know, um, crushing it together to make like a brick of cheese. So one of these three acts, kid Gregorus, if you did a whole Gregorus worth, a fig's worth of this material, whether it was, whether of this action, whether it was a fig's worth of, um, of milk, a fig's worth of the, the, uh, the curdled milk that is being filtered, or a fig's worth of cheese. Any of these six activities, you're going to be liable to make a carbon chatas. Mechabed is when you sweep the floor. Merabed is when you... Um, you smooth the floor down, but basically what they would do is they would, um, they would uh, spritz water on the floor because their floors were made out of dirt and they would spritz water on the floor so that the dust wouldn't be rising up and getting into their eyes. So that's also going to be a, uh, an activity that you're liable for on a Torah level. The Gemara is going to discuss why. If you remove a, a honeycomb from a beehive on Chavez, you're liable uh, to a carbon chatas. If you did it on purpose on Yamtif, then you don't bring a chatas, you, and you're going to have to be a makas of Arbayim, right? You get 39 lashes. These are the opinion of Eliezer. Whether it's this, whether it's that, you're going to be liable for on a rabbinic level, but not liable on a Torah level. went up to They asked him, Why are you liable? Amr al said to them, why are you liable for milking? Because you milked. Why are you liable for you know, filtering this, uh, the curdy milk? Why are you liable? Because you did machavets. Why are you liable for making cheese? Because you made cheese, right? Um, so basically, he, they asked him these three questions. Why are you liable? And all three of them, he said, what do you mean? You are liable because it is what it is, right? So that's not a great answer. Amrulay, they said to him, Rabbi, he says, your master, the person who taught you Torah, must have been someone who was cutting um, reeds in Ba'agma in a swamp, right? So he felt a little stupid. He didn't really have an answer for them. Asa, Sha'ol Bey Majrasha, he went to base Majrasha and said, guys, well, what's the deal? What's the answer? Why are you liable for these three activities? Amrulay said to him, when you milk someone is going to be liable because of mafarik. Mafarik normally is is a tolda of of dash of dash, which is threshing. Threshing is when you extract the um, the kernel from the surrounding shaft. So the mafarik is when you take something out of what's surrounding it. So when you milk a cow, the milk is inside the udder, and now you're taking it out of the udder. Mechabet is going to be the activity of boyer of sorting because you're separating the good from the bad. And the, the reason why you're liable for making cheese is because that's, it is going to be in the category of baina, of building. Now we're going to analyze the, the next three cases of the brisa, right? So either sweeping the floor or um, a dirt floor or, or uh, you know, spritzing it with water or taking out the, the uh, cakes of, of honey out of the um, honeycombs from the, from the beehive. Why are you liable? My time is really hazard. Why does really hazard say that if you take out um, honey from the honeycomb of Shabbos, you're going to be liable on a Torah level? Because it's actually in the story talking about um, 
uh, Yonatan, right, who's the son of Shaul, that he takes a, a, a bite from a honeycomb. He dips his staff into a honeycomb. He just had an incredibly courageous battle against the Philistines, and he was very, very successful. And he comes back, and he doesn't know that his father has made a, a nether that nobody's allowed to eat until they finish the, the battle. So he, he, then he eats, he dips his staff into a honeycomb. The way the Navi describes it in Shmuel is that he dips it into the forest of honey. Since when is a honey what referred to as a forest? Why does the Navi use this interesting word? Why does the Navi use it? It's to teach you a halacha. The same way that when you cut something from a forest on Shabbos, guess what? So too, if you take out a, a honeycomb on Shabbos, you remove it from its, uh, from its um, the beehive, then you're going to be liable to bring a carbon chattas. Ameymar, shara zilcha bimechuza. Ameymar permitted zilcha in mechuza. So what happens is like this. Basically, Rashi says, what zilcha? The rabbi tzabayis. Uritzpas avonim ha'isabcholayir. Ameymar permitted in mechuza. That mechuza was a wealthy town, by the way. Important to recognize this for the context. He said, you're permitted to sprinkle your floors on Shabbos. So the question is, why? Why did the Chama say you're not allowed to sprinkle your floors on Shabbos? Because maybe what you're going to end up doing is, through sprinkling the floors, you'll end up coming to flatten out the holes in the ground, right? The ground in those days was made out of dirt. You're going to flatten out the hole. When it comes to flattening out the, the ground, there's no concern of that in Mechuzah. Mechuzah, they had stone, they had stone, um, stone floors. There's no concern that you're going to make um, a hole. There's no concern, I'm sorry, no concern that you're going to be flattening out a hole through making the water and then causing the ground to become level. That's not going to happen. You already have a stone floor. You're not going to be flattening anything. Rav Toisva, saw Ravina. They come and sta'er mehavla. He saw that he was having, uh, he was getting, uh, it was painting him the havla, the ear. Basically, he was in a, a, a hut in which the dirt was, you know, there was, there was wind and the dirt was being stirred up and it was causing his asthma to flare up or something of that nature. So he said, Other people say a similar story, but with different people. Umar says, I see that you're in pain. Why don't you do what it says you could do in a brisa, which is you're not allowed to sprinkle things on the floor for the sake of actually uh, making the floor smoother. To make, not, sorry, not for the sake of making the floor smoother. You're not allowed to sprinkle water on the floor for the sake of making the dust no longer bother you in the air. But what you are allowed to do is go wash your face in one corner, go wash your hands in another corner, go wash your feet in another corner, and then through doing that, there's going to be water on the floor, and that will cause the, the dirt to go away. Now, how does that solve the issue? If the sages said you're not allowed to do it in the first place, then why does it solve the issue to play this game like this, right? So the answer is because the sages never included this in their initial enactment. The sages said, we don't want you sprinkling water on the floor because then you might come to, sp to smooth out the whole floor. You're not sprinkling water on the floor. You're washing your hands. It happens to me that now the water is going to end up smoothing out, end up getting onto the floor. That far, they don't make their takana. They don't make their enactment so far. Amrle Lavadaita, he said, I, I wasn't thinking about it. Tana Isha Chachma. A woman who is wise will, uh, will sprinkle water on her floor on Shabbos. But now that the halacha follows the opinion of Reb Shimon, that a malacha shein and tzrich legufa is permitted, that doing something that is not done for its main, um, it's not done for this, for this reason, 
that it's already, I'm sorry, not Malachi Shenzi Rashi says, not Malachi Shenzi Yechulufa, rather Davashi Amos Chavin, right? So now you're doing Davashi Amos Chavin, what you're coming to do is you're coming to wash your hands. It happens to be that what's going to happen is the floor is then going to get, uh, you know, the, the dirt is going to get smacked down a little bit. Then it's completely permitted according to everybody. Okay, now we're starting a new topic, new Mishnah. If someone detaches something from a pot on Shabbos, you have a flower pot, and the flower pot had a, a hole in the bottom, right? And you detach something from that flower pot on Shabbos, you're going to be liable for cutting, on, you know, for removing from the floor on Shabbos. However, if it has no hole in the bottom, it's not connected to the earth at all. It's, it's growing in dirt in a flower pot. Then it's not going to be an issue of detaching it on Shabbos on a total level. Rabbi Shimon says whether it is a atzis whether it is a pot that has a hole in the bottom, whether it is atzis a pot that does not have a hole in the bottom, you are still going to be exempt on Shabbos. Rabbi Leibai Rava, Abai asks Rava. Some people say that Rabbi the son of Rav, asked Rav. Tenan, we learned in the Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon holds that you're exempt for both of these cases. So we see from here that Rabbi Shimon holds that something which is uh, has a hole in the bottom is similar to something which does not have a hole in the bottom. Rimini will ask a question. Rav Shimon says that there's no difference between something that has a hole in the bottom and something that does not have a hole in the bottom. The only difference is when it comes to So what's hechshir zrayim? Allah is like this. You have something growing from the ground that cannot become tame unless after it was detached from the ground, it got wet. It got wet with one of the seven different types of liquids that the Gemara in... Um, in the Mishnah, I can't remember where right now. The Mishnah in um, Machshirim. The Mishnah in Machshirim tells us what the seven liquids are that can make something ready to be Makabal Tumah. But it can only make the item ready to become ritually impure if it actually happens after it's already separated from the ground. So Rav Shimon says that the only difference between a pot that has a hole in the bottom, a pot that does not have a hole in the bottom, a pot that has a hole in the bottom, if it gets the item inside it that's growing, the plant, if it gets wet, it can become tame. But an item that's still attached to the ground cannot become tame. So if an item that has a hole in the bottom, it cannot become tame yet, even if it, it had water on it. But an item that does not have a hole in it, it's already considered detached from the ground. And therefore, if water falls on it after that, it can become Tame. Implication is that for everything else, it's exactly the same thing. Even for Shabbos purposes, it's exactly the same thing. I have a question. Are you saying Rav Shimon says that you can like pick a pluck a flower out of a flower pot on Shabbos? Is no, I don't. I, no, I don't no, no. He, he says putter. He says you're exempt. You're you're not you're not going to be liable on a Torah level, but you're not allowed to do it. On a rabbinic level, you're but, not allowed to do it. But why wouldn't you be liable on a Torah level? Because if it's growing in the flower pot, it's not attached to the ground. Even if it's getting nourishment from the flower pot, the, the halacha is that it has to get nourishment, not just from the flower pot. I mean, it has, oh, it has to be actually... So, in other words, the earth and the flower pot does not constitute ground. What would you say? The earth and the flower pot doesn't constitute ground in that sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a nice way to put it, yeah. yeah. Okay. Rav Shimon considers this for everything like it is detached from the ground. The reason why he holds that when it comes to Tuma and Tahara, then he says that if it's, if it's in a pot that is, um, has a hole in the bottom, it's not considered detached from the ground, is because over there the Torah tells us Tahara Itzel Zrayim. What does that mean? Because it says in the Pasuk, Al kol zera zerua asher yizora. It says on any vegetable or any seed that will be planted that is ready to be to, uh, sown, to be planted. 
So by mine, so, so basically what we're saying is like this. Once we see this, um, once we see that it has to be on the type of seed that could be planted, it has to be a seed that's already removed from the ground. So it has to be a seed that's removed from the ground. If you have a, a plant that is growing in a flower pot that wasn't removed from the ground, it's not going to be enough to actually, um, it won't be considered ready to accept machshirin, um, to, to become ritually impure if something gets stripped on it. There was an old elderly person who asked Rebzera. So, so if you have the, the root of the plant is opposite the hole in the pot, what's the halacha? So Rebzeraim was quiet. He didn't say anything. Another time he saw that Rebzera was sitting and he was quoting Rebzeraim. And what did he say in the name of Rebzeraim? Rebzeraim said that if you made a hole in it, what are we referring to? We're referring to if you made a hole in it in a way that would make this vessel, not the plant, but the vessel will no longer be able to become tame. Why? Because it's no longer a good vessel. If you made a hole in it in that type of fashion, then, then what will happen is, then if that type of hole was there, then indeed it's considered attached to the ground. Rabbi Shimon who says that it's no longer considered attached to the ground, even if it has a hole in it, he does agree that if, it's, if the hole is so big as to render the vessel no longer usable, then indeed it is considered attached to the ground. I asked you when you have a hole directly opposite the brute and you didn't answer me. You didn't answer me. So now the hole is actually not next to the, not necessarily next to the root. It's just a hole on the side. But the hole is a hole that is in a place and a position that the entire vessel will no longer be usable. Then all of a sudden you said it is not considered, it's still considered attached to the ground. You have to explain it this. Zera really meant like this. Shimon agrees that if you made a hole in it, that you would not be able to even contain one revius, a very small measure of liquid in this pot, then it's going to be a little bit of a problem. And that's already quantitatively, qualitatively different. So now Rava tells us there's five different types of measures when it comes to vessels. We're, we're, we're now off and running, talking about when a vessel is no longer considered to be uh, able to become ritually impure, because we've learned multiple times before that a vessel is only able to become ritually impure if it's a vessel. If it no longer has a use as a vessel, it cannot become ritually impure. So there's five different measures by a vessel. What are the five measures? Um, if it's a pottery vessel, if it is, uh, the hole in it is enough that a liquid will be able to uh, come out of the, out of the pot, then it's going to be tahar. It's going to be tahar militame. It's not going to be able to make something ritually impure anymore. If it is, um, if it is a gistera, if it is, um, one second. Okay, fine. So basically, if it's broken in this fashion, it's no longer going to be able to become tame, right? Because it's going to be a, uh, it will, you wouldn't use it anymore as a, basically, it's like a, a, a gistera is a broken piece of a pottery. So you have a broken piece of pottery that has a hole in it. Guess what? You're not going to use that broken piece of pottery for the sake of, um, for the sake of, um, of, of taking things into it, uh, of using it to catch things underneath it. But when it comes to a question of using it for a vessel, for the mechatas, what's the mechatas? The mechatas is the water that you took the ashes of the paraduma and sprinkled it into that water. You would still use this little thing for that purpose, right? 
Then Nikev Kekainis Mashka, but let's say the hole in it was large enough that it wasn't just a large enough hole that water would seep out of it, but it's a large enough hole that you could even get water into it from the outside, which is considered to be a larger hole. Then Tahar Milikadish Mechatas. Then nobody would even use it anymore for the sake of um of Mechatas. Nobody would use it for the water of the Khatas. And the halach is that the water of the of the uh, paraduma has to be put into a vessel. So this is no longer considered to be a vessel. It's not going to be appropriate to use this for the paraduma water. However, it's still going to be considered a vessel for the sake of being able to, if a, if a plant is in it, it's still going to be considered to be, um, it, it, the, the when the plant is in it and you have water going on that plant, it's going to be considered to be a severed plant and it can become ritually impure. Nikev kesherish katan, Tahar. However, if the hole in it is going to be enough of a hole, Tahar milahachsha beizrayim. If the hole in it is enough for a a sheirish katan, it's a sheirish katan, a small root. What does it mean in this context? Nikiv kesheirish katan have a tvei mimkanis mashkes. Rashi says a small root is going to be a larger hole than even to have water poured in from the outside of it. Then already, it's even going to be no longer able to. Um, to become machshir, things that are in it, okay? However, it's still going to be considered a vessel if you're going to be repurposing it for the sake of uh, using it for olives. However, if the hole is now large enough that olives will spill out if you put the olives into it, sorry, then it's going to be ritually pure for the sake of accepting um, olives. If the hole is now large enough for olives, I just read that again. However, you still could use it repurposed for the sake of collecting a remonium of pomegranates because the, the pomegranates wouldn't fall out of the hole that's only big enough for olives. It's not going to be big enough for pomegranates. Let's say the hole is big enough now for pomegranates, then you have no real usage anymore. Then you have no usage at all, and therefore the vessel will be com completely ritually pure. The hook of tzam and pasil, however, if it is surrounded or covered by tzam and pasil, which is a, a cover of, um, of uh, basically, you have certain types of, of seals of a tzam and pasil, where you have a, a seal that is totally tight and you know, um, not necessarily a vacuum packed, but it's it's totally a tight seal around it. Then it makes it as if it has no hole at all. So if you already surrounded it with a summit basil, with a tight seal, until most of it is no longer there, then it will still be ritually um, impure, right? Once it has its summit basil, because now it is able to be used as a vessel again. I heard that a klicharas, a, uh, a pottery, um, uh, pottery vessel, the measure is the amount of a, um, this is the amount of a, of, of being able to uh, hold in remainum, being able to uh, hold in uh, pomegranates. Maybe you only heard this when it comes to something that is closed up with the tzama basil, with a with a, a tight seal on it. But Rava was the one who said that when it comes to something that has a tzama basil, it's not going to become it's not going to become ritually uh, pure until it actually, the majority of it is broken. So which one is it? Does it have to just have big enough hole for pomegranates to go out to become ritually pure? Or does it even have to be a big enough hole that the majority of it is now broken? One of them is talking about when it's a very big pot, then the fact that the hole in it is big enough for pomegranates to go out is not going to be a big enough hole. But because that's still not going to be the majority. But when it's a very small pot or a small vessel, then having a hole in it that's large enough for pomegranates to come out, by definition, is also large enough to make it more majority broken. 
So essentially what we're saying right now is that if you have a pot that's a, a pot made out of, uh, you know, a vessel made out of pottery, until it gets big enough that, until the hole is big enough that the majority of the pot is broken, it's still going to be ritually impure because it could still be used as a vessel. Once the pot gets so broken that the majority of it is, is uh, opened and, and open to the elements, then already we're going to say, okay, if the majority is open to the elements, then it's in a different stage and it will no longer become ritually impure because it no longer serves a purpose. And the only things that are ritually impure as a vessel is if you could use it as a vessel. There's no, no um, use case as a vessel, then indeed it will become permitted. It will become no longer ritually impure. Okay. Take care, guys. Be well.